Hey, everybody. Bill Shirk, the man about the woods for the Minnesota Historical Society. You know, you need to come visit Historic Fort Snelling. It's Minnesota's first national historic landmark, and it just reopened. May 28th, after two years of restoration. This is the place where waters, people, and ideas have come together for thousands of years. People are able to hear many stories told by many voices and learn more about how lives and history intersect. Whether revisiting your favorite parts of history or learning something new, it's waiting for you at Historic Fort Snelling. Hey, you can learn more at M nhs.org slash Fort Snelling. We'll see you there. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another Minnesota Bound podcast. Your host today, Ron Shera, and my special guest, a guy that knows everything there is to know about Minnesota fishing, maybe not catching them, but raising them and counting them. Brad Parsons, a DNR Fishery Chief is with me, as well as a newest our newest sponsor, Minnesota Historical Society, so we invite them as well. Brad, thanks for joining us today to talk a little bit about fishing and walleyes in Minnesota. Well, it sounds good, Ron, and I appreciate you saying that I'm not the best catcher in the world because I'm not. There's half a million anglers out there who are better, better than <laughs> I am at that, but I, I, do, I do like the science. I do like to understand what the fish are doing and how they're doing it and how we can make it better for folks. Well, let's uh, have some folks find out a little bit more about you. You've been the DNR fisheries chief since when, Brad? Uh, started in July, 2018. So kind of heading to about four years now. And I uh, was uh, the central region manager out of St. Paul. And that included our trout streams in the Southeast and, you know, lakes up to St. Cloud. And before that, I was a research scientist for about 25 years out in Glenwood, uh, Alexandria area where I worked on walleye stocking. I worked on crappies, uh, some shallow lake work. So I, I've loved working for the DNR for my career and hope to continue doing that for a few more. Well, indeed, you know, I wanted to chat with you about um, one main thing is that I think a lot of Minnesotans and certainly people beyond Minnesota have, uh, have no understanding about how big walleyes are in the state of Minnesota when I mean big about not only the interest in the fish but the fact that Minnesota uh, has so much more walleye habitat than say our neighboring lakes like Wisconsin and and can you talk about that a little bit Sure. I mean, we're, we are, we are really, and I get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway, blessed with some great walleye water in this state. You know, our large lakes, uh, the leeches, the winnies, the reds, the Lake of the Woods, Malax, Cass, Pepin, the rivers that we have are just incredible, incredible natural walleye fisheries that, you know, even in the face of some of the things that were, um, dealing with right now are going to be resilient and they're going to continue to do that. But, you know, the other thing that we're really interested in is providing walleye opportunities in places where they wouldn't be otherwise. And, you know, that's where our hatchery program comes in, our stocking program, where we can, um, uh, you know, most, and it's not, not just walleye, I'm, I'm talking about all fish within the state. Almost all of them are naturally reproduced. And that's a great thing. That means we have good habitat. We have great lakes. We have great rivers. But if we can provide opportunities that where they wouldn't 
normally exist, that's a great way to do fisheries management and a great way to pull people into the sport of fishing. Well, Minnesota has, um, you can help me here, like 13 uh, fish hatcheries of which maybe 10 or so um, raise walleyes. Is that, am I even close to those numbers? Yeah, yeah, yep, you're close. We've, we've got 11 cool water, which is what we consider primarily walleye, a little bit of musky, a little bit of northern pike. Uh, and then we have four cold water hatcheries for our trout program. And, you know, our trout program isn't just about streams. It's about about lakes. Um, I know some of the folks around the Twin Cities, if you look at the trout opener on certain lakes in the Twin Cities, it's it's a bonanza. I mean, people are out there and loving it. So it's it's an important part of what we do. It's certainly not all of what we do, but it's it's about providing those opportunities where they wouldn't otherwise exist and getting people out and enjoying the outdoors. Well, there's a lot of folks, it uh, doesn't matter where they live, if they're on a lake or near it, uh, they want walleyes in there. So you, yep. you, you get a lot of pressure to uh, stock walleyes, which means you have to raise them. Um, roughly, does Minnesota lead the nation in the number of walleyes we raise and we eggs that we collect in the springtime? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, you know, we we the number of eggs, you know, you have hatch rates and things like that, but you know, we're, we're talking about millions, you know, four to 6 million fry that are produced each year. Uh, you know, the fingerling stocking we do. And also, you know, uh, the folks here might not know, but we raise most of our fish in extensive ponds. So it's sometimes those fish live and then we stock them as yearlings and they're bigger. And if we stock them when they're bigger, they have a better chance to succeed. And we also partner with our um, the aquaculture industry in the state of Minnesota and buy fish to put in lakes. So, yeah, we're, you know, it, it, it's a combination of, of taking care of that natural habitat where the fish can take care of themselves and then putting fish in other places where, where people are going to catch a walleye that they wouldn't otherwise. You know, uh... Minnesota, of course, is unique, I think unique, in our Minnesota fishing opener every May, which is a, a huge, huge event. I think, I, I mean, I've been to the Wisconsin opener. It's, it's nothing compared to Minnesota as far as occupation of resorts, motels, restaurants, whatever. And, uh, uh, of course, South Dakota, those states don't even have a opener. They're year-round, I do believe. But... Uh, it's unique to Minnesota. It's, it's, uh, I've, I once wrote that Minnesota has three major holidays, uh, New Year's Eve, Christmas, and the fishing opener. And, uh, but most of that is wrapped around walleyes for sure. It, it, it is absolutely. And I, um, I won't, I won't say who I corrected, but it was somebody fairly, fairly high up in government that, you know, they said the start of summer in Minnesota was Memorial Day. And I said, no, the start of summer in Minnesota is the opener. And that that's really what it was. And, you know, we had an excellent, you know, the, the opener, people sometimes focus too much on what the governor's doing and all that. But the opener's for everybody in Minnesota. You know, it's a chance to reconnect with friends and with family and, and do things. You know, I've read your articles over the year and, you know, Dennis and Tony and others who, who are out there writing about just the experience. You know, there, 
There are biological reasons in certain places in the state where we could say there's not really a need to have a closed season like, you know, the Dakotas do, for instance. But it's it's so ingrained in our tradition and it makes too much sense from an economic and a, a social standpoint to bring the whole state together. I that There's nothing I really enjoy more about my job, Ron, and I'll be just brutally honest about this than the week leading up to the governor's opener. It's because we're talking about everything that's positive, you know, about people enjoying the resource, getting out, enjoying themselves. It's, it's my favorite time. The radio row that we do is so much fun. You know, you have the local, um, I remember talking to folks from Rochester and Hutchinson and um, Aiken and Bemidji local radio. They're all talking about this and, and it's great. I, you know, again, the, there's biology. We wouldn't need the opener in certain spots, but in our natural lakes, we definitely need it. But for the social and economic reasons, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I'm like you. Uh, the build up to the opener is like a, a build up to Christmas for me. Um, uh, you know, you're getting. You're, Pulling your boat out of winter stories, getting ready, packing it up with walleye gear. Uh, I, I agree with you. It is a super thing, and I, I wouldn't like to see Minnesota decide for biological reasons that we could just go year-round walleyes and, and, and lose that for sure. Well, I, I will certainly never advocate for that. I guarantee you that, sir. <laughs> Brad, I'm going to take a short break here, and uh, we come back. We're going to talk uh, a little bit more about uh, walleye, and especially um, just so you know, I want to talk about the big hoopla over changing the state limit, and then yep. there's two line fishing and a few other things. We'll we'll get into sure. that, and uh, uh, we'll get back to you, Brad Parsons, DNR Fishery Chief, my guest here. But first, a word from Hewitt Docks. Hewitt Docks lifts and pontoon legs began in a small south-central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the roller dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic roller dock or the new ultra dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt Docks, lifts and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Hey, I'm really picky when it comes to my drinking water, and I have the reverse osmosis drinking water system from Connecticut, and I love it. It takes out contaminants in the water, it removes chlorine, and most important, it tastes 
great, which is the one thing I'm probably most picky on is how does my water taste? So having Kinetico also means that I use less plastic water bottles, which we all know is a definite bonus for our environment. For more information, visit Kinetico.com to find a dealer near you. Hey, welcome back to the Minnesota Bound podcast. We're talking walleye today and at least mostly walleye and Minnesota standing is one of the great walleye uh, states in the union. I think it's the best. Uh, I'm not getting into Ontario, they could argue, <laughs> but that's a different country. But my guest uh, uh, to talk about walleyes is none other, none other than Brad Parsons, DNR Fishery Chief, uh, who uh, uh, gets his fill of, uh, of, of walleye topics, uh, hatcheries, stocking, not stocking, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Brad, uh, one of the issues this past spring was a lot of folks wanted to change the state walleye limit from six to statewide to four. And um, it was quite controversial. And eventually that, that idea died in the, in the legislature. And um, I was surprised, you and I have talked about this, I was surprised that DNR supported the legislature doing this, although I think we both agreed um, that might be a bad precedent, but um, uh, now that it's kind of a dead issue, what what are your thoughts about the statewide limit of four instead of six? You know, you're right, Ron. I mean, it's it's a very complicated issue. And as you said, you and I have talked face to face about this, that, you know, fisheries management isn't all about science. There's sociology and there's politics, quite frankly. And, you know, just talking about the opener that we talked about, there's definitely a socioeconomic thing about that, that, that is highly beneficial for the state. You know, I, I personally think, and I, the department has supported this, that in the long run, a daily bag limit of four fish is, is good. It's an, it's enough. Can I tell any person out there who lives on Lake X that this is going to make your walleye fishing better? No, I cannot. Do I feel very strongly that there are places that this is going to help? Absolutely. And and the reasons for that are just the changes in the way that so many people are fishing now in terms of electronics and in terms of social media and the hot bite and getting there. And there's also a, a simplification factor. You can have, you can be by Lake Winnie and then you have a lake right across the street and you got four on Winnie, you got six here. So, you know, we, we do special regulations and I strongly believe in individual lake management, but if there are ways that we can simplify regulations across the state, I'm all for that too. So, you know, what, what we talked about, about legislators doing science and fisheries management, I, I get that and I'm not thrilled about that and I might get in trouble, <laughs> quite frankly, for saying that. But still, um, if there are things that we think would benefit the resource in the long run and be proactive rather than reactive, if that has to happen legislatively, I can live with that. I'm not thrilled about it, but I can live with it. Yeah, I guess I understand what you're going at. It depends on what that leads to with other legislators who then think that they're uh, uh, the great fish managers in the state and uh, et cetera. But uh, that also kind of goes to how strong tradition is. I've told people that six walleye limit has no biological background either. There's, no. there's it was it was a number picked out of the air 
It used to be 10 and even more walleyes than that way back at the early 1900s. Uh, so the six is nothing. It's just a nice round number, but um, a lot of people, uh, six, that they, they, they wanted to cling to that. Um, so we'll see where it goes. And I think there was an effort for you people, DNR, you would not have to, if you wanted to go to four walleyes, you could do it more expeditiously um, without going through a bunch of hoops, uh, which is, um, I, I don't know if that, legislation passed or not but there was that idea yeah and and that would be our rulemaking process which you know we we do for very many many other things and and you're right ron i mean six fish was picked in 1958 um i wasn't yet born at that point so <laughs> i can't exactly tell you why that that happened and i was you were I, st- I started all that. at that point as well <laughs> i was born i started all that <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah i mean th- and and daily limits are are effective in certain places and not so effective in others uh you know for example our quality sunfish initiative you know where we have daily pretty restrictive daily limits on sunfish that really helps preserve the quality. Does that work on every lake? No, it doesn't. And we wouldn't put it on every lake. Would a four walleye bag help on every lake? No. And But we manage so many waters that, it, that it's very hard uh, not to do that. Uh, you know, our rulemaking process, I actually talked about this at, at our meeting yesterday with some of our stakeholders in the roundtable. It's, it's complicated. There are... Um, you know, there's different types of rules, you know, something we can do on Red Lake and Mille Lacs because we have to be able to respond immediately is completely different. And we have statutory authority to do that. We also have statutory authority to do other things, but we have responsibilities. And then primarily that's taking in public input. We don't do these things in a vacuum. Most most special regulation or different um ideas about things come from the grassroots. They either come from our uh, species work groups where we have people and we work with them internally of DNR, or they come directly from the Lake Association. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't just kind of willy-nilly throw these things out. Yeah, we're, we're waiting to hear from folks who want to see something a little different or something a little better. I'm going to uh, predict the next um, big issue, although um, years ago, there was an issue. The legislature considered banning uh, these uh, fish finders, <laughs> electronics, mm, depth yeah. finders, etc., and that went nowhere. Um, but the technology today, um, and I, I have one on my boat up. It's been so new I haven't had a chance to use it. But uh, fellow anglers I know who have it, I'm talking about uh, technology of of so uh, of transducers that can actually it's almost looking like looking like uh, watching television under the water right uh, uh, it's remarkable what kind of success my angling friends attribute to using that device and it encourages uh, enjoyment of fishing there's no doubt about it uh, you don't have to kill every fish you catch I mean I get all that but yeah, I go oh my gosh you know Everybody's wondering, have we crossed the line, so to speak? What are your thoughts about it? You know, I don't think we've crossed the line, Ron, but, you know, we're pretty doggone close, to be honest with you, because I've seen a lot of that. I've had people show me, 
some of the videos. You know, frankly, we've actually used some of that technology in in some of our uh, research that we do, where where we can tell that that fish is a paddlefish in the Minnesota River and not a buffalo, for instance. It's it's incredible. It's amazing what it can do. Um, you know, are we going to have to reconsider daily bag limits or whatever? Are there people who abuse technology like this? No, but it's definitely changed the sport. You know as well as I do. I've talked to enough people who have that kind of technology. Instead of going out and drilling 50 holes to uh, catch crappies in the uh, under the ice, go out and drill a couple. And you spin it around and then you move around and um, so it definitely makes angling more efficient and more fun. And, I have to add that it, it actually makes it more fun too. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I believe me. I, I don't like sitting in a bucket or in an ice house and not catching anything. <laughs> either. I mean, I've, I've done enough of that myself, but, uh, I was, but yeah, I mean, we, we, yeah, we, we did hear this years ago, Ron, you know, the, the, the green box flashers were yep. going to be the end of everything. Yep. And, GPS is going to be the end of everything. Yeah. And this is going to, but you know what? These things are adding up and we have to be, I, I want to be proactive rather than reactive on these things. We're not going to ban stuff. No, you that's can't. Just, that's not the way it's going to work. No, no. But we want, we want, and a lot of that is going to be on, on us. And I think quite frankly, on fellow anglers and, and your minfish group to talk about personal responsibility about how you handle this type of stuff. Yeah, we're t- um, we you know catching a bunch of fish is fun. I love it. I love it. But you know, if there's hooking mortality or there's barrel trauma, if you're catching fish in 45 feet of water, um, you know, there there's things that people really need to understand. Yeah, they don't. I think we're we're going to bring up that topic uh, at a future men fish about it's an education thing. You get these you know, guys go out pulling up crappies in the winter time, 30 feet. Uh, catching them left and right, letting them go, and not understanding that they're all dying under the ice there because they yep. can't go back down. But you know, just the other day I was <clears throat> bass fishing and talking with a friend. I he you know he had a depth finder, Lawrence outfit, but we didn't use the wing ding fancy stuff. He didn't even have it. But I said we were talking. I I can't remember how I fished uh, before there were depth finders. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't. I mean, it's like, how would you ever find a drop-off? Well, a lot of, I mean, they used a, a, a rock and a, and a piece of rope to find yep. some of these things. But, uh, Brad, I'm going to take another break, and uh, we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the future of uh, walleyes, if there are uh, any big issues that keep you awake at night, and, uh, and uh, continue this conversation with Brad Parsons, DNR Fishery Chief with me today, Ron Shira, here for the Minnesota Bond Podcast. And uh, we're going to take a break and uh, get a word from our Minnesota Propane Association. The Shira family enjoys spending a lot of time outside. Hence, we care what goes into our environment. That's why we support propane, the energy for everyone. Did you know that propane produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions than electricity generated on the U.S. grid? Propane's emissions are 43% fewer. That's a lot. Propane is clean, dependable, and affordable. Plus, it's produced right here in the USA. Let's all do our part to reduce emissions from our homes, cabins, and businesses by choosing propane, the right energy right now. To learn more about propane, the energy for everyone, go to propane.com. 
Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. You know, today is a day for adventure, and Cub has all the Nabisco snacks you need to make sure that adventure is delicious from start to finish. Life is just sweeter when you share Oreo cookies on the trail. Also, when you crunch Ritz crackers at the campsite or rock the boat with rich cheese crispers. Stop a Cub on the way to your adventure. The great outdoors is calling. Be sure you bring the snacks. Hey, welcome back to this edition of Minnesota Bound Podcast. Ron Chera here with you. My special guest, as we talk walleyes, and the only, he's the only guy that can really, uh, he's got all the answers. I'll put him on the spot. Brad Parsons, <laughs> our DNR fishery chief, uh, my special guest today. Uh, Brad, thank you again for being here. Um, as we talked earlier, walleye is very important to Minnesotans. It's very important to the state. Uh, for many, many reasons. Um, and so y- w- you look at that and you say, well, what's the future? Now, there have been talk about climate change is going to change things, uh, zebra mussels, and, uh, uh, you know, it seems like every other day there's a, n- a supposed new threat to our walleyes. Um, where are you at with some of this? You know, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic Ron, I'll be honest about that, you know, particularly because um, in Minnesota, the habitats that we have are really, really conducive to that. Now, you know, there, I, I won't get into, I could do a whole bunch of science. I was just at a sciencey meeting earlier this week, and my history as a research scientist kind of gets me back into thinking that way, but I won't go there. Th- there are definitely challenges but a lot of the lakes we have, particularly the larger lakes, um, our, our natural walleye lakes or the lakes like, uh, you know, maybe not in our large lake, but like an otter tail or, you know, gull or the whitefish chain or whatever. You know, they, they're still going to contain what we need, what walleyes need to, to live and thrive. And so I'm, I'm optimistic there. On some of our more small to medium lakes, are we going to have to reconsider some things? Perhaps, you know, is fry stocking still going to be the way to go on some, or do we have to move to fingerlings? Is walleye stocking going to even be worth it on some of these lakes? I don't have that answer, but but we've got a ton of good people working on this. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. A, a year like this year, where we all suffered through, a, you know, pretty much a brutal April, and it was cold and it was windy and the ice didn't go out. Well, you know what? An April like this often means good walleye reproduction and good survival of our fry. Um, and again, I won't, I, I could, but I won't get into the, the whole thing about it. And then we're getting into a warm stretch here. And one of the other things that encourages walleye survival is growing degree days in the summer. Hmm. Now, Having said that, there's also the issue that growing degree days in the summer also encourage other species like largemouth and smallmouth bass and crappies and bluegills, et cetera. So it's it's kind of this, it's, it's not going to be the same for every lake. We're going to have to be really um, diligent about how we, how we look at our lakes. And we might have to put more attention into some of our medium um, and non-large lakes and, and maybe not have as many walleye fisheries in small lakes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, 
But that's a possibility because in order to do, to be smart about the money we spend, the management we do, we got to have information. Yeah, and you to do have that, that, we need we need people to do that. And we can only if, if you're going to a lake once every ten years, you're not managing that lake. I, yeah, you're, e- you're, you're, you're echoing. Yeah, you're echoing me now. I said, uh, uh, in fact, when your department was thinking about some kind of reorganization, I uh, said um, apparently a lot of people agreed with me because it didn't happen. But I said we don't need uh, we need more area fish managers, not fewer. And I still believe that uh, for sure. Uh, you know, a couple of things that puzzle me, um, uh, like zebra mussels, I think your department has pointed at zebra mussels for possibly impacting fishing on, say, Malax. Uh, and I know you can't add one lake, or X lake with Y lake, but then I've been to Lake Erie where zebra mm-hmm. mussels have been in there yeah. for a half a century, uh, I think, or close to it. And, 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 Lake Erie is just is a, a bumper place for walleyes. I mean, they're it thriving is. there. And so <laughs> we go, oh, oh, so they won't thrive in Mille Lacs because of zebra mussels, but they'll thrive in Lake Erie. Now, I know this is a simple layman's idea, but uh, what do you think about that? No, and I, Ron, I, I agree. Actually, matter of fact, last week I was just at a Great Lakes Fishery Commission meeting, and that's one of the things we were talking about is, you know, Lake Erie is the walleyes are they're booming right now. They had three great year classes in a row. I think it was 18, 19, 20. I, know, I mean, they, they, got, they, got, to, they got climate change there too, you know. Well, I mean. they do. They do. And they have invasive species, like you said. Yep. But, you know, each lake, each lake is different. You look at a lake like Erie that has water coming in from all over the place that has a ton of productivity to it. You look at Mille Lacs, and, and I'm not. It, it's just, it's different. It sits at the very top of the watershed. Uh, There's not a lot of nutrients coming into that lake. I see you that. Know, yeah. you, you know, as well as I do, Ron, if you've been on the, I'm sure you've been on the West end of Erie, some of the yes. blue grain algae blooms right. they have. Right. But so, so it, and that's kind of what I was trying to get at earlier. We, we have some situations where it's going to be really good and we're going to maintain this and we're going to have some situations where it's going to be more of a challenge. You know, I, I'll, I'll tell you another invasive species story, which is really interesting. Rusty crayfish in Cass Lake and the growth rates of the perch that are out there, there's nine-inch perch at three years old out there now. Oh, my. Because And and part of that is because the zebra mussels, and again, I don't want to get too sciencey with all you folks, and if you want to learn about it, we got all kinds of stuff online, and please go look at it. But the energy goes down there, and these perch key in on these little rusty crayfish. And, and it's incredible. They're growing almost as fast as they are in Lake Pepin. Nice. Uh, and, and it's just amazing. Um, so, but, but what does that mean? I mean, if, if those perch are now growing out of the range where walleyes can eat them, maybe that's not so good for walleyes. But the person who likes to go out and fish perch might be really, really good. Well, so it, yeah. it, we, we've, we've invested a lot in this. We are looking hard at this. Uh, the University of Minnesota has been a great partner uh, Gretchen Hansen's lab, we're, we're doing a lot of really good stuff. You know, we're not going to have the, the great answer, but you know, years like years like this, I actually feel kind of optimistic about walleye population. We've got a nice late spring. We got a that good warm up coming on. I, I think we're going to have some good year classes this year. Now it's not going to be everywhere, 
Um, you know, synchrony isn't perfect, but I'm looking forward to it. Well, very good. Uh, you you raised a point about Erie, which struck me because I was out there with and talking to Ohio biologists quite a few years ago, and they were. Uh, I, th I think zebra mussels were siphoning all of the water in the west basin of Erie about every five days or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yet their uh, their algae content, which was the basis for the food chain there hadn't uh, gone down as much as they thought it would uh, based on what the zebra mussels were doing. But so I think it's because of just what you said, there's all these different water inlets coming in uh, kept the, uh, the, the baseline of their food chain, which is algae uh, going and the walleyes yep. benefited from that. One more thing, Brad, that I'll let you go is as I look at some of the Lake Finder information, put out by your area managers. It seems like I'm always running into the issue of stunted northern pike as being a limiting factor for stocking success of walleye. And um, uh, I say to myself, uh, we just kind of just talk about it all the time. We don't do anything about it, and maybe there's nothing we can do about it. I know you've changed some pike regulations, but that mm -hmm. that's not going yep. to... Uh, impact uh, those lakes that are full of 18-inch northern pike. Uh, and we tried to, uh, inviting people to take 10 of the little uh, snakes, but the people don't want that. So I don't know what the heck you do, but it seems like we just complain about it. We don't have a plan. Yeah, well, and, and I, I, I hear you on that, and I, I certainly don't disagree with your basic premise on that. I mean, there are places we've, when I went and talked to the uh, uh, Minnesota community of resorts, they have some of their customers who are thrilled to take a bunch of little pike home. Now, granted the resorts might have to do the cleaning for them, yeah. but, but that, but that's a good thing. I mean, that it, it it's a resource that is there to be utilized and it, it, it can help. Will this change overnight? Absolutely not. Um, you know, one of the other things that I, I do want to bring up is we've sometimes, and even in the Wally community, been criticized for counting uh, the larger walleyes we stock, like yearlings and even two-year-old fish. Oh, you shouldn't be counting them in your poundage. That's not fingerlings. Well, guess what? Those things have a much better chance of living. And I Back in my old scientist days, I actually did some research on that and I have some numbers, but um, so, and, and that's, so it, it, even for example, in 2020, when we didn't, we didn't stock our ponds, we couldn't, we couldn't do our walleye egg take because of the pandemic and such. We still harvested about 40,000 pounds of carryover fish out of there. And those fish are, you know, they're eight to 10 or even 12 inches long. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot harder for that 18 inch pike to eat that fish than it is, you know, a five, six inch fingerling. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing that. We, we intentionally harvest, um, carryover fish. There are places we intentionally use them, uh, because there may be a higher pike population. Should we at the day, and unfortunately it'll be after I'm done with this, should we be able to restructure some pike communities with our new Northern pike regulations? You know, it's going to be five to 10 years for that changes. Let's just all be honest about that. 
Mm-hmm. There might be some real niches out there that we can increase some of that stocking and switch some of that biomass from pike to walleye. You know, Brad, years ago, uh, Dwayne Shodine did an experiment in the Twin Cities Lakes. He purposely netted, uh, gill netted, um, and removed a ton of small northern pike uh, and then watched if the other northern pike would increase their size, etc. And I was surprised when he said their research showed that didn't make any difference, uh, which takes away one of my pet uh, the uh, ideas was to let's get let's net a bunch of those little stinkers and get them out of the lake, and the rest of the pike will grow to be biggins. But apparently, uh, that that's not going to work either. So yeah, and and we we've tried that in a couple other places. I know Tim Gaiman and Danny Anderson did a study on that up in northern Minnesota, and they've been tried in other states. But part of what that north central zone rig is meant to do is it's, it's got that protected slot from 20 to 26. So once you get a pike to about 26, 28 inches, um, they're, they're really good cannibals. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, lots mm-hmm. of fish are, are cannibals. And they'll eat other pike too. Yep. And, and that's kind of what we hope. And then plus, if somebody wants to harvest a pike, you know, um, you can take a bunch of little ones and good for you. And please do, um, you know, look online even if it's not on our website, go on YouTube and you can you can find a thousand ways to clean pike. And, and I love pickled pike, quite frankly. So um, that that's another good way to do it. And, and and deep fried pike is just as sorry. I know I'm almost being blasphemous. <laughs> almost as good as deep fried walleye. Uh, we're just um, gonna we'll subtract that. I've erased that. What you just said. <laughs> you, can, you can feel free to add it as you need. That. Brad, uh, like I said, Ron, I've, I've been in this job long enough to know that I, I can say some silly things and get get myself in trouble, that's but I, that's right. okay with me. Well, you get out of trouble. Listen, we're just <laughs> um, we're out of time here. I certainly enjoyed our conversation about uh, walleye. There's a lot of issues we didn't get into. Sure. Um, uh, you know, uh, Malax, I don't want to even go there, although I could. Um, uh, whatever, but uh, we'll save that for another time. But uh, – uh, I want to thank you, Brad Parsons, DNR Fishery Chief, for being with me today and enjoyed the chat and good walleye fishing to you. Well, happy to do it, Ron. And um, yeah, we, you know, I'm happy to talk anytime. We we have lots of things, you know, some, some are really positive, some are a little more challenging, but, you know, always want to have people get the get the information they need to, to hear what they're talking about. And I appreciate the work that, that you all do on that. Very good. Brad Parsons, DNR Fishery Chief. That about does it for us. We want to also thank our sponsors, Minnesota Propane, Hewitt Docks, Connecticut, my favorite uh, water system, Star Bank, a great bank chain, and Oreo Cookies and Ritz Crackers. Mm, can't beat those. And our newest sponsor, the Minnesota Historical Society, who... Uh, I'll plug my book. They printed, uh, they published mostly true tales of a life outdoors. <laughs> and and uh, so this is Ron Sheriff signing off for Minnesota Bound. Remember, introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.